Let's get political. Oh, yes, you could hear that dildo hit his face, eh? Mm. <laughs> In that last part, that was the... <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, one of the best moments in uh, New Zealand political history there, uh, Stephen Joyce getting his just desserts. Uh, welcome, Phil and John. Morena to you both. Morena. All right. Uh, show me the money. Ex-critic editor holds nation to ransom. That's going to be the headline. Uh, it's budget week. Um... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's been uh, lots of um, you know lots of things promised. Grant Robinson has a bag of Macintosh's toffees. Uh, who gets the egg and cream, and who's left with the mint? Really? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not not, not feeling the mint. Eh? Not feeling <laughs> the mint. For me, yeah, that's the that's the shit one. Uh, but you know, essentially. I mean, we always hear about the budget, and we assume we know what a budget is, but do we really know what a budget is, John? What is the budget? Well, the budget is a statement by the government of New Zealand where it sets out the state's revenue uh, for the preceding year and the year to come. Um, it's prepared by the um, the Minister of Finance, who in this case is Grant Robertson. Um, uh, it's voted on in Parliament, and uh, so... Uh, um, and it, Always, if it didn't pass, then that would be the fall of the government. So, mm. uh, yes, yeah, so um, all of the government parties are expected to vote for it, or the MPs, and yes. Yeah, all right, so that's... Simple what, as that. That's, yeah, that's quite simple. So, I mean, it, you know, are we looking at the kind of cash we're going to get in the future, or is this the cash we've had from the previous year uh, that we've got to play with? Um, well, both, really. So... Um, uh, so yes, there's, uh, it's important for the government to be able to project how much cash, how much revenue it can collect, and due to various uh, um, factors, that the actual revenue of the government is, is higher than mm. was expected um, because of tax intake and because of uh, um, the robustness of the economy I, and neglect. Well, <laughs> I just yeah, yeah, just yeah. leave it and neglect. Yeah. Uh, um, all right, yeah, interesting. Um, promises, promises, uh, Phil. Um, spending, no new taxes, and gotta have a surplus now. Can they deliver? I mean, from what I see, um, you know, they've got a big turd uh, to pick up, and they've only got a cotton uh, a cotton bag to pick it up with. Yeah, well, I mean, governments always aim to have surpluses. And the last Labor government, you know, had nine years of surpluses without spending very, <laughs> without increasing um, spending much in areas like health and education. And the last national government, you know, the, you got further decay of the health and education systems. Mm. So those and the housing situation and Auckland transport are probably the the key things that they're going to be spending money on. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that although the economic situation has turned out, or how much money the government has has turned out to be better than expected, there is some winding back of expectations going on. Um, you know, the government's very, very committed to the um, fiscal responsibility, mm. and that is going to put you know serious limits on how much money they're going to put into health and education and um, house building and, and so on. I mean, 
it's kind of hard until the budget actually comes out to to be um, too precise about things. But I think there will be some lowering of expectations, and it may present some problems for the government because. In elections for the last 30 years, I think what, what parties have done is lower expectations during the elections, and then if they deliver something, people are like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this government, this, um, these parties actually raised expectations, mm-hmm. and I think they had to, because people were just sick of, of not being given much and not being promised much, and the problems in the health sector and some of the other sectors, you know, were reaching tipping point. Yeah, and so they had to make some some bigger promises, and they did. But um, how much of that they're going to deliver, be able to deliver on? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, it seems like things are a lot worse uh, in some sectors than were, um, to- you know, than than the they were kind of told when they were coming in. Um, you know, I mean, you open the books before the elections, right? A few weeks beforehand, and you're supposed to be able to see everything that goes on. But I guess you're only looking at numbers. You're not yeah. really, you know. And um, from what we've heard in the health system, um, DHB general managers are a bit scared to even tell the government <laughs> of exactly what mm. was going on. And, yeah. and if, if that's happening, and, and I can understand that sometimes when shit goes wrong, you know, you know, you, you I don't really want to tell Sean. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to, but I don't. Maybe I can minimise the damage by saying this, you know. And, and that, you know, that's um, you would hope people that are in positions of power uh, uh, have the balls to tell those on top of them what is exactly going on. Mm. Uh, but we see for years, um, and I'm going back to health again. Um, government expectations on uh, DHBs pulling back uh, on things like food. Uh, and even down to hand sanitizers and hand towels and things like that. I mean, it was getting a bit bloody ridiculous. Um, So they were expected to save money all over the shop. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the, uh, this this Labour-led government wasn't made aware of all the um, uh, funding shortages in areas such as health mm. and education. Uh, nonetheless, it, it, um, part of its electoral stance was to say that uh, th- these key areas, health, housing, education, etc., etc., were being massively underfunded and that it was going to be a transformative government. Mm. Um, and I don't think we're, we're going to be able to say that this is a transformative budget, yeah. uh, quite the opposite and I agree with Phil that there's been uh, significant there's been a significant attempt by this government and by Grant Robertson to lower expectations now um, t- to say that uh, um, certain sectors such as uh, nurses and teachers uh, uh, effectively can't expect um, uh, the type of pay rises that they want mm. uh, that the government's operating within this, um, what I'd argue is a very conservative uh, economic framework with its budgetary responsibility rules which uh, dictate that the government operates within a 20% surplus that it pays off debt uh, and that it doesn't stretch spending beyond what is seen as um, orthodox uh, uh, levels for any government. So I think that's really problematic for Labour and that on one hand it's wanting to say that it's a transformative uh, uh, regime that we have in place at the moment uh, that issues of inequality, of child poverty, of uh, um, the housing crisis. And remember it was Labour that called this 
at the housing crisis, mm. it, it just can't really tackle those problems, I would argue, if it sticks to those budgetary mm. responsibility mm. rules. It, it doesn't want to put up taxes uh, over this, um, this t- um, term, over the next couple of years, so it, it's really tied its own hands in it, its ability to um, tackle those big issues that yeah. it promised that it would tackle. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it doesn't want to put up income tax, but it, it doesn't have a problem with putting up indirect tax, which you know hits workers disproportionately hard. Um, so the talk about putting up the um, you know putting an additional tax on petrol in Auckland and so on, um, you know, indi- indirect tax is still is still tax, but it's it's more a tax on on working people. I think as well, like. Like John was saying, if if you're going to address poverty, you you have to address wages and benefits, mm. and their expenditure. I mean, it's all capital expenditure. It's all you know, buildings and equipment and hospitals and so on. It's not wage expenditure. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people in the health system may well end up being rather disappointed that there's going to be massive funding for buildings and equipment, but there's not going to be a hell of a lot of funding to increase. Um, pay in the health sector or to bring about um, pay equity um, in terms of gender either um, and you know uh, this is kind of put off and I think one of the things that they're doing is you know they want to get back <laughs> in 2020 so it's like well here's here's an indication you know vote for yeah. us in 2020 and we'll give you some more indications yeah yeah and maybe they're going to leave the big um the big the big candies the the egg and the cream and and the um that one that starts with an h i can't remember how to pronounce that macintosh's toffee um <laughs> but you know for, for that last budget before the election you know that's always a a strewed move from from any government really isn't it um that, that's possible so um um but my argument would be that it 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 can't carry out the type of transformative policies in regards to areas such as um, inequality and child yep. poverty uh, that it has <laughs> promised to do unless it steps outside of those um, budget responsibility rules which limit this government so much. Um, uh, Phil's absolutely right that yeah, there's going to be a, a huge emphasis on capital spending. So there'll be uh, 42 billion uh, worth of capital spending over the next five years, which is 10 billion more than um, the national government promise. But in, in the areas like Phil said, tackling those questions to say uh, uh, relatively low wages and um, uh, low benefits, uh, we're not getting any any signal from the government um, mm. that it's going to tackle those issues. Quite the opposite. So Grant Ross was asked if some of the extra revenue uh, that this government has due to uh, higher than expected GDP growth and uh, tax uh, intake um, would that be spent on um, uh, wages say for teachers and nurses and he he wouldn't answer the question but his indication was that uh, no only some of that extra revenue would be would be uh, spent generally by the government Mm -hmm. sorry sorry and if you look at at benefits you know, we had the early 1990s mother of all budgets where benefits were cut by about a quarter, 25 to 30%. And those cuts have never been reversed. You know, we got um, small increases for beneficiaries under the last national government, not under Labour. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we had Tories increasing social welfare benefits and, and, um, and not Labour. But 
those increases, I mean, they never went anywhere near reversing the mother of all budgets uh, cuts. So, I mean, benefits need to go up by about 50%, just really to be able to to allow people to live with any dignity whatsoever on Uh benefits. Um, And we don't see any sign whatsoever, and from Labor, that they're going to do that. In fact, I would argue that they should actually go up more. So how are you going to address poverty without addressing, and that's something that the state can do, I mean the government's obviously not going to say to employers, you know, you need to put up wages by 20% or whatever, Uh but they could... um, you know, they could raise the minimum wage significant. Well, they're talking about doing that, but they yep. could could raise it more. But they're going to have to spend a lot more money on benefits and raise benefits significantly if they want to make a serious impact on on poverty. Yeah, you, you can't do it otherwise. I mean, the government's argument is that um, that. Uh, other policies are addressing uh, the issue of um, uh, poverty for beneficiaries, such as the family package. And um, I think uh, packages such as the family package will, to some degree, uh, lead to uh, less inequality, um, but not to the levels that this... uh, expectations out there is that that poverty will be seriously challenged and I don't think we're going to see that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well I know I can't wait for that personally I mean I'm in a pretty low income household Mm. with with my family we're not Mm. really low but you know but that's really going to help us that family package. Yeah so so, um, um, yeah I think that will be the government's strongest argument that they they are addressing um, issues of of poverty for you know the bottom sectors of society but um, uh, perhaps raising benefits isn't the best way to do that. We saw that when Jacinda uh, Ardern was interviewed um, in this studio last year, that she, she said, no, there's, a, there's other mechanisms for dealing with poverty. So I think that's what they will emphasise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing with that money when we get it to. We're going to spend it. Yeah. You know, and that no. money's going to go back into the system. And you know it's going to go to somebody else who's going to spend it and somebody else how you know how it works and mm. government will get a nice fifteen percent of it anyway, won't they? Mm. After the, after <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and it's the GST after yeah. it's already taxed anyway. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what you know? What about single beneficiaries? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole lot of people who are on on benefits who are not going to end up getting very much. And of course, you know, under the last government, benef- beneficiaries were excluded. Um, from um, the working for families, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what poverty levels are like at the end of the first term of this of this government. Just start having kids. Uh, <laughs> anything out there for anything out there for students? Well, uh, of course, there's a continued rollout of um, so-called free education. So, oh, so-called. Uh, at, at the, well, at the moment, we've got uh, um, students in their first year uh, yeah. get fr- one free year of tertiary education. The expectation mm-hmm. that will be rolled out to become three years. Uh, I hear so a post-grad student here being a little bit... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I believe uh, that uh, education should be free for all. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I mean, but that, that takes time. Self-interest right? comes that, into play there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that takes time, and, and well, it's a plan for the f- for three years, right? I don't know if you're going to see it anywhere anytime soon for masters. Yeah, I mean that's what students. that's what the government stated and promised, and it, it, I, I think it will definitely deliver on the, in that area. Um, yeah. Well, this got international politics a bit. Um, U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal. Um, 
I mean, I guess uh, well, we hear about these things all the time. But once again, just like you know, a budget. What what was the deal? I mean, what exactly did it say? You know, what was um, promised by the Iranians? Uh, was that a solid promise that was going to last forever? I hear something about a 10-year plan for, for mm. one part of it, for enrichment maybe. Uh, and uh, what was coming back from the other side, um, lifting of sanctions, and what did that mean for Iran? So, so this deal, which is, is formally called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, but commonly known as the Iran Nuclear Deal, is all about uh, restricting um, Iran's alleged nuclear weapons ambitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the deal puts in place very heavy restrictions on um, Iran's nuclear program. It's still allowed to have a nuclear program in terms of uh, uh, building nuclear power plants, but mm. there's, there's now se- severe restrictions placed on on uh, that program uh, along with um, uh, the dictate that there has to be um, um, uh, that though that program has to be opened up to international monitors who yeah. can come in at any time. Now, from the um, American state's point of view, uh, yeah, it is arguable if, if their aim is to uh, actually put a complete halt to this nuclear weapons program, it is arguable whether this deal actually does that. Um, it, it does for a certain time period, but I believe after uh, uh, 10 years, um, yeah, the um, uh, Iraq, those restrictions uh, are removed and there would have to be a new deal. And um, there have been arguments that um, once Iran's nuclear power uh, program is, is in place, that after that this um, nuclear deal um, runs out, that uh, Iran could use the technology it has um, built up with its um, nuclear power uh, program to to then uh, kickstart a nuclear weapons program again. So, um, yeah, although uh, from the yeah from the American state's point of view, there there are arguments that this wasn't the best deal, and uh, that the Obama administration uh, oversold it really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, however, it it clearly does uh, place uh, severe restrictions for the foreseeable future on Iran, and has uh, if there was a nuclear weapons program, it certainly has stopped that program for now. That's not what Benjamin says. <laughs> Benjamin now who's saying it's it's the ace in the aluminum tubes. Well what he he's actually saying, uh which again has a large amount of truth to it, is that um Iran always denied that it had a nuclear weapons program and he, he's saying Well haven't uh, the Israelis as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well it's, it's very hypocritical because uh yes, uh, Israelis have had a secret nuclear weapons program for decades now and, and certainly has a stockpile of nuclear weapons and no one questions that. So there's a huge amount of hypocrisy here. Uh Nonetheless, uh, the, it does seem that I, the Israelis have got hold of information showing that there, there quite possibly was a nuclear weapons program mm. uh, uh, being uh, carried out and researched by the Iran regime, which is always it's always denied. But that's kind of beside the point because the whole basis of this um, of this um, uh, Iran nuclear deal is the presumption that Iran did have a nuclear weapons program. Mm-hmm, mm. um, Phil, I mean, what does this mean in the other way? I mean, when this deal was struck, uh, sanctions were lifted, um, you know, we start getting oil from Iran again uh, in a legit manner, um, you know, I mean, it was always coming out, but um, 
and you know US companies and worldwide companies could start doing deals again without fear of being restricted with trading with the United States uh, and the EU uh, and now with uh, with America pulling out but the EU staying in uh, other countries like ourselves I guess staying in I don't even know if we were even part of the deal uh, but what would that mean for us uh, New Zealand companies you know I mean if we're selling um, you know, milk powder to the states but also selling it to the Iranians um, does that mean you know we c some companies are going to have to choose between the two um, and, and not just that but what's it also going to mean for us at the pump well, I'm going to I want to fill up with gas you know we're going to see a, a rise in fuel prices I, I think it puts New Zealand um, business and the New Zealand government into an interesting uh, position because basically you've got a cleavage between Trump on the one hand and the Europeans on the other and I mean his sort of you know America first go charging around the world like a sort of rogue elephant thing is not particularly appreciated no. by, by the Europeans and for the yeah so for New Zealand business it's a kind of choice like on the one hand the United States is a you know, key ally and also you know, major trading partner but on the other hand you know China's more important as a trading partner than the United States and potentially even more important mm -hmm. you know um, the Chinese middle class alone is bigger than the entire population of the United States yes. so you know China is going to be probably more and more important and you know the Chinese aren't interested and in, you know aren't supportive of what the Americans are doing in relation to Iran then you've got you know Iran's got what 80 90 million people I mean they're getting up to 100 million people it's not an insignificant mm. uh, tr it's not a completely insignificant trading partner plus you've got other countries that are friendly with Iran um, who are significant as well um, so if if Trump wants to really go ahead with isolating Iran you know New Zealand is going to have to choose a bit between um, the, Uni the, the United States or the Europeans you know China Russia on the on the other hand um, what it means at the pump well I I mean, petrol companies always choose to increase their prices and blame it on, oh, it's the Iranian crisis or it's this, that, or the other. But I don't think it really should make much. Well, I, yeah, I think it shouldn't make much difference at the pump, but yeah. it, it quite possibly will. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they'll use it as the great excuse, <laughs> yeah, even, yeah. you know, even if even if it's not changing, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if we if we're buying out, you know. If, <laughs> London keeps buying Iranian fuel on the Brent market uh, and we're not going through the US um, New York um, fuel exchange or whatever the hell you call it um, then it's not really going to change the, the supply is still going to be there but they yeah. like you said they're really quick to put it up but then when things are going really well they're really <laughs> slow bringing yeah. it down eh? yeah. they're really slow at bringing it down and um, you know and maybe that's why the buses are late because they're going to fuel up uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're going to put little bits of uh, in at yeah. a time so they have to fuel up more because they've only got limited cash supply um, yeah well, it's interesting I mean just just quickly we have to end on this um, you know this I can imagine this is going to disable uh, the the territory again. I mean, you've seen the last few days, Iran and Israel are, are targeting each other in mm, Syria. Mm. You know, uh, which is crazy. Um, are we? You know, um, with 
them going back into isolation and with um, you know, Iran, um, Israel being a really big uh, friend of the states again, I mean they always were but um, Trump's backing um, you know, they're just about to move move the embassy, mm. I think, soon on, on Independence Day, I think, mm. I believe. Um, you know, is this going to destable the Middle East more? Uh, and is there going to be a, you know, is there a danger of, of Iran and, and Israel really escalating things? Um, absolutely. Yeah, I think it could have a severe destabilising effect. But a destabilising effect on the Middle East that certain key players in that area want. So uh, it's not just Israel, but it's also um, Saudi sure. Arabia, mm-hmm. uh, which is really leading a number of Arab states that have their uh, targets set at Iran and, yeah. and, and want to bring down that Iranian regime, or certainly uh, uh, clip, its, clip its feathers so Iran isn't operating in an expansatory way within the Middle East, be, uh, especially since the, um, the collapse of uh, the Saddam Hussein regime. Uh, 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 Iran's been on a roll and, and it has certainly been uh, projecting itself throughout the Middle East region. So, um, yeah, the, there is a possibility of uh, uh, of war between uh, Israel and Iran, also between Saudi Arabia and Iran as well. And there's sort of this unholy alliance between Saudi Arabia mm. and Israel at the moment where both uh, those um, uh, political states see uh, Iran as their main enemy rather than each other. And, and, and behind the scenes there, there is coordination and, and sharing of uh, sensitive information, etc., between the Saudis and, and the Israelis so, um, yeah, uh, I, I think one of the reasons why uh, Trump has pulled out of this um, um, deal is because of the type of advice he's been getting from those Arab states, especially the Saudi Arabians and the Israelis as well. Mm-hmm. All right, um, we're going to have to leave it there, but I can hear the uh, the till ringing at Lockheed Martin from here, actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you won't be seeing any tariffs go up on the weapons market. Um, Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. See you again next week. For sure. Uh,